It's time for Tuesday Terror, here on the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance. The following presentation is a production of 63 Audio and the Narada Radio Company, a proud member of the Mutual Audio Network. Do you dare to go down into the cellar? The Cellar, starring the Narada Radio Company, and hosted by Cadavera Quivery. Hello, boys and girls. Ghouls, welcome back to my beautiful cellar. Your dear Cadavra has missed you terribly since last time. Oh, be careful, don't trip. An old flames ship is in town, and those are some of his old lines. Hmm? Oh, yes, he uses them to pick up women. By the neck. We've known each other since school days. But back then, I refused to hang around with him. (laughs) So he's staying with me for a few days. But confidentially, I can't wait until he goes back to his ship and disappears for another hundred years. Well, you know what they say. House guests are like corpses. After three days... You've just got to bury them. (laughs) So, fiends, gather round. It's time for a story. Let's see what I've got for you in my great big book. Ah, ahem. Here it is. (coughs) So, tonight, we bring you the weird story of a young man with a very strange medical condition. He's sitting in his physician's examining room, waiting patiently for the good doctor to arrive. Just listen. Mr. Pendleton, good morning. I'm Dr. Brennan. Yes, thank you for finding time to see me today. Mm-hmm. You told the nurse you need a physical examination. Is this for a new job? Um, well, uh, you see, I told her that because... Mr. Pendleton, John, may I call you that? John, why don't you sit back down and tell me what it is? I think it's best I show you instead. Here, on my left side. What's this? Were you injured? Do you need me to change your dressing? 
No, Doctor. You'll see. Just just take off the bandage. Um, well. Yes? How long... Uh, how long have you had this? Always. As far back as I can remember. I was born with it, so I was told. But it wasn't always the same size. Not the same size? What do you mean? Well, it... It was, um... It used to be small, very small. But in the last three months, it's been growing steadily. Really? Well, John, I'm, uh... I'm speechless. Now, I've seen growths like this before in my time, but one that is still growing after the host reaches maturity is quite unusual. Host? Well, perhaps a poor choice of descriptor, my boy. I say host because... I would generally describe this growth as parasitic, strictly in a clinical sense, mind you. Oh. When I think of a parasite, I think of ticks and leeches, things that suck blood and spread disease. Well, yes, that's the common everyday definition. We use the term more as something that doesn't belong in a normal, healthy body. As far as sucking blood, a growth like this usually has no nerves and a limited blood supply. Now, if you don't mind... I'm going to take a closer look. Careful, doctor. Oh, what? Oh, my God! I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I should have said something before. Oh, it's got a death grip on my finger. How could it be? I can help. Here. I have to distract it by touching it on the back. Ah, ah, yes, there. (laughs) Wow. This thing has strength. More than I'd ever expected. Oh, look, it's still opening and closing. And now it's made a fist. Yes. I was stuck in a similar situation the other day. Discovered the distraction method by accident. In a way, it's like a baby's, the way it grips so tightly, so blindly. Yes, and it's about the same size as a six-month-old baby's, I'd say. Has it always done this? No. Only the past few weeks. It never did anything before, and now it's a damn nuisance. It clutches at everything I put on. The only way I can keep it from pulling and tearing at my clothes is to bandage it and tape it down against my ribcage. Even then I can feel it wriggling, trying to clutch at things. What do you make of it, sir? Well, I... Go ahead, doctor. You called this a parasite. How could this thing grow from my side? You say you were born with it, John? Yes. Well... I'm only speaking in hypotheticals, but it's possible that you were a twin, at least in the embryonic stage. A twin? Yes, and it's highly probable that you and this twin were from a single egg. Identical twins, as you may know, come from a single fertilized egg. Sometimes such twins are equally developed. More often, one twin is better developed than the other. Am I making any sense? So far. Keep going. Now, in certain cases, one twin may absorb the other, sometimes completely, sometimes leaving such traces as an appendage. In your case, John, you absorbed your twin nearly completely, and this growth is all that is left of him, you see? Well, I'll be damned. Yes, I can see how this would be possible, Doctor. But look here. Does this mean that I possess two personalities in one body, myself and the other twin? Well, uh... Do you suppose... Do you suppose that the personality, the soul of the other twin, is still intact and is now trying to establish itself in this... 
this growth? Of course not. Now let's get a few pictures and x-rays of this, shall we? Brennan. Hi. Here at the bar. Hello, Hoffman. Thank you for agreeing to meet me. Here. I ordered you a drink. Martini. Two olives. Aha! You remembered. And why not? Thanks to you, it's what I drink. Cheers. Mm, yes. Cheers. Oh, yes. That's very good. Thank you, old friend. It's nothing. Now tell me what I can do for you. Your call this evening took me by surprise. Well, it's a strange case. A young man, 23 years of age, came to see you. It was ridiculous, but ever since he left, the question's been turning over in my mind. What question is that? Hmm. Well, if my interpretation of the absorbed twin is correct, and my patient is the autocyte, and this growth is all that is left of the parasite. Stands to reason. What's the shape of it? It's a fully formed hand, about the size of a 26-week-old infant. And where is it located? Patient's left side, but it's a right hand, directly below the armpit and about the 11th rep. Okay, I can see it. Keep going. So, what became of the personality of the other twin? The what? Its soul. What? Where did it go? When the embryo absorbed the other twin, where did its soul go? Its consciousness. Brennan, did you have a few of these before you met me here? Oh, Hoppin, I'm serious. If we allow for the fact that my patient is the autocyte, and this hand is the parasitic twin, and the additional fact that the hand has started growing larger over the past few weeks, then wouldn't it stand to reason, now that the patient has reached full maturity, that the personality of the dormant twin is now trying to assert itself, to establish itself? What the hell are you saying? I admit it sounds strange, but it seems to fit. How else would you account for the growth? Come to my office tomorrow. See the x-rays for yourself. Paul Brennan, continuing notes on the John Pendleton case. Today is uh, June 7th. My friend and colleague, Dr. Frederick Hoffman, consulted with me on this case today, and we examined the photographs and x-rays together in my office. The x-rays show that the hand is completely formed, with all carpals, metacarpals, and phalanges being clear and of proper shape. Rudiments of radius and ulna are present, but fade away near the point of attachment of the hand. The muscles and fascia of the hand are attached to the intercostal muscles below the 11th rib. Blood supply is from an intercostal artery. A doubtful spot may be a ganglion for the nerve supply. Uh, Mr. Pendleton will return next week for further consultation. Hello, John. How are you getting on? See for yourself, Doctor. My God, it's grown. It seems twice as large as last week, like the hand of a child of five or six years. And it's driving me crazy. It's so strong that I can barely keep the bandages on. What can you do about it, Doctor? Remove it, of course, this week. It should be a very simple procedure. Part of me was hoping you'd say that. 
Yes. But another part... Well, another part of me wonders if... If removing this, uh... What's left of my twin would be, uh... Murder. No, of course not. Well, let's liken this hand to a tumor. Does removal of a tumor constitute murder? <laughs> no. A tumor is a parasitic growth. Likewise, this hand is a parasitic growth. We remove such things before they become too dangerous. Is that murder? <laughs> well, no. But I had a crazy dream about it the other night. I dreamed I saw my twin and he said, You've had your share of life at my expense. Now I want my own. It's my turn, so don't you dare tamper with things. I'm going to have my way. And then I woke up. Oh, that's obvious, my boy. A natural consequence of our previous conversation. Uh, one twin, overpowering, absorbing the other. There's nothing to it, I'm sure. Ah. Uh, now what do you say? It's three days from now, huh? Three days? For the procedure. I have an opening then, and it shouldn't take very long at all. Yes. Okay, I should be ready by then. Uh, ready? Well, I mean, prepared. Mentally. Yes, <laughs> yes, of course. It's good to be prepared. Brennan, continuing notes on the Pendleton case. The date is July 26th. Before I could operate on John Pendleton, I received word that my father had become deathly ill, so I had to return to California. The disposition of his estate took longer than I expected, so there has been a delay of more than a month since seeing my patient. I'd been back for only a day when he burst into my office. Dr. Brennan, thank God you're back. I'm going insane. Well, you don't mean that the hand... It's... it's growing, doctor. It's larger, and a part of the forearm is growing out. Well, that's hardly possible. But it is. It's given me no rest for the entire time you've been gone. It's as if it knows of our plan to remove it, and it's wasting no time in asserting itself. What? Doctor, it's constantly twisting and pulling as if it were trying to reach into me for something. It's driving me mad. Just look. There. Pendleton was right. The hand had grown and was now about the size of an 11 or 12-year-old boy's, in addition to which the lower half of a forearm was visible. Hoffman, I'm glad to have you with me in the OR today. I wouldn't do this for anybody but you, Brennan. I know, and I appreciate it. Is uh, Pendleton under? Yes. He's been given a general and he's out. But that damned hand won't go to sleep. The nurses are frightened to death of it. Nothing left to do but go in and take care of it. Ready? Yep. Hello, everybody. We've got a very important task ahead of us. We all need to be sharp. Dr. Hoffman will be assisting with the surgery. And Nurse Cummings, is everybody ready? Ready and standing by, Doctor. Very well. I see the local anesthetic has had no effect on the, the hand. It seized the wrist of Nurse Ayala when she tried to inject the local. She just about fainted on the spot. It was while the hand gripped her that I was able to inject it, but... But what, Cummings? The shot seemed to just... make it mad, Doctor. Like it knows what's about to happen. Ridiculous. How could it know? It's a parasitic growth, nothing more. Then how do you explain this, Doctor? Nurse, remember your place. Yes, Doctor. We've got to find a way to subdue it. 
Hoffman, any suggestions? I think so. If I tie a loop in the end of this line, we could throw it around the wrist and have a nurse pull it down top. What do you think? Well, worth a try. Nurse Ayala, can you keep a constant pressure on the line once we get the wrist lassoed, so to speak? Yes, sir. It'll mean spending quite a bit of time on the floor. Are you okay with that? Whatever it takes, sir. Fine. Thank you, nurse. Hoffman, are you ready? See if you can put something into its palm so it'll make a fist. Oh, yes, good idea. Uh, here's a wad of cotton. Ah, it's got it. Now, Hoffman. There! Good! Here, nurse, pull! <laughs> Brennan, what are you waiting for? Make the cut! Yes, of course. Here goes. Snapped. Uh, oh, it's got me by the wrist. Hoffman, Cummings, help me control it. Oh, my God, no. It's forcing the scalpel towards Pendleton's heart. No! Good God, man. It's strength is superhuman. I can't budge it. Drop the scalpel, Paul. Drop it. It's the only way. Yes, yes. Got to drop it. Ah. Ah, ouch. Let's let go of me. Ah, my entire arm is gone numb. Good Lord, what's it doing now? Jesus Christ. It's trying to feel for the scalpel, but it's out of its reach. Well, what do we do now? We'll have to tie it down with something stronger. Nurse, run to the janitor's closet and see if there's something like a nylon rope we could use. And so, a surgical procedure that was, on the surface, simple and would have normally taken no more than a half hour, lasted nearly four hours due to the almost constant interference of the parasitic hand. Once Hoffman had tied it off with a stronger cord and Nurse Ayala had pulled it taut, I got started with the incision, but the hand still kept up its writhing and clutching motions. Only by misleading and misdirection was I able to proceed. How silly this all sounds to say the words out loud, as if I had been dealing with a separate entity. And yet, that seems to be the only plausible explanation. As I made the final cut, the hand jerked loose, fell to the floor, and immediately fastened around the ankle of the chief surgical nurse, Cummings. She screamed, knocked over the instrument tray, and ran out of the OR. I followed and found her face down in the corridor, fainted dead away. I removed the hand from her ankle, but even then, it kept up its struggle. I had to hold the stump of a forearm in both of my hands to keep it away from my face. I came back into the OR and dropped the thing into a jar of preservative fluid, and then turned back to complete my work on Pendleton. Okay, I think that's it. Hoffman, will you take a look? Make sure I've removed all traces of the attaching structures. Mm-hmm. Looks like you got everything. We should treat these areas with radiation to destroy any remaining tissue. Yes, I have that ready. How's Cummings? Did anybody say? She's all right. Embarrassed at fainting, but I can't say I wouldn't have done the same thing. Nor I. Well, let's get the site treated and closed up. I'm absolutely dead. You're not alone. <laughs> and I have never... Seen the OR in such a shambles.
Good morning, Dr. Brennan. I've been told that you're releasing me today. Yes, John. The incision has been healing nicely, and I think if you just keep that area clean and change your dressing daily, you'll have only a circular scar to remind you of this time of your life. Now, uh, let me take a final look. Hello, John. It's nice to see you again. What's it been, about seven months since the operation? And my nurse tells me you've been having trouble sleeping lately, hmm? You wouldn't sleep well either, Doctor, if you felt something clawing inside you. What do you mean? Exactly what I said. Something clawing and pulling inside me, and right at the place where the hand was removed. How very curious. Call it curious or call it crazy, but it's real. It's as if a hand were gripping my organs, shoving things aside, and pulling at me. As if somebody... Doctor, that hand is coming back. Very well, John. Take off your shirt and hop up on the table. All right. Well, the incision has healed nicely, and your scar is fading. Your abdomen is slightly distended, but not enough to be symptomatic. Uh, let me listen to your heart and lungs, and then we'll get some x-rays. The date is March 6th. I have made a shocking discovery in the Pendleton case. During John's most recent visit, in which he complained of a grabbing or pulling sensation in his abdominal area, I had some x-rays made, and as I expected, there were no signs of congestion as with a tumorous growth. But then I decided to compare these new pictures with the ones made back in June. Comparison showed that some of the internal organs have been displaced. The stomach, for one, was pushed to the right a distance of nearly two inches. I was surprised by this discovery, so much so that I dropped the print. I bent down to pick it up and jerked back in amazement, for from a distance I saw what had escaped my vision in a closer view. A hand was outlined in the body, to the left of the stomach. I stuck the x-rays side by side up on the light board, standing at a distance where I could see them both. I realized that I was not looking at a positive structure. It was merely that certain organs had been pushed aside and the vacated portion resembled the outline of a hand. A puzzling case. Is Pendleton right in suggesting the hand has returned? Preposterous! I said it seven months ago and I'll say it again. The mere thought is preposterous. But Hoffman, you saw how that hand fought us. You were there. You fought with it, too. Don't remind me. So how can the idea that the hand is coming back be preposterous? Because it just is. And now you're proposing we open him up again? For what? All we see is negative space. Hoffman, even the x-ray technician noticed it. When she brought the latest pictures to me, she called my attention to the hand shape and... Just a shape. An absence of... An absence of structure, yes, but how can you explain the outline of a hand? And it's getting larger, and more organs are being displaced. But Pendleton is complaining of severe pain. He says the hand is pushing up towards his heart. I've had to admit him and put him on a course of sedation. I've seen him, too. His, his pain seems genuine. All right, let's get the surgery scheduled. I'll go see Cummings and get the first available slot. Will you go check on John? No, doctor, no. I can't work with you on that case. Lisa Ayala won't do it either. I'll never forget how that... that 
thing seized my ankle. He's doctor. Please don't ask me. Now look, do you want Pendleton to die without a chance? I must do something, even if I don't know exactly what it is. I can't be certain what is troubling him. He's suffering. Well, that's evident enough. The x-rays and MRIs aren't telling us enough. If I open him up, I don't know what I'll find, but this is his only chance. That is, if you'll do your duty. Duty? <sighs> Very well, Doctor. I'll try. We'll try. Yes. Thank you, ladies. I knew I could count on you. Yes, I slept quietly last night. But still, I feel so strange. As if things have come to a decision. Sort of, you know, ready for the final showdown. Showdown? It's going for my heart. I know, trying to take my life for its own. Can't you do something, Doctor? Yes, John. I have good news. We're going to operate later today, around four o'clock. Oh, thank God. I don't think I'll be able to stand this much longer. <sighs> and do you think you'll be able to rid me of this... this whatever it is? I hope so. In fact, I feel sure that I can. I've been studying up this matter, and I know something definite now. That's wonderful news. Yes. So, just lie back and get some rest, okay? I'll see you in a little while. Yes, Dr. Brennan? Nurse, I want you to page Dr. Hoffman and make sure he's prepared and ready to go at four for Mr. Pendleton's surgery. I... Help! Help! Get Dr. Hoffman, stand! Help! Yes, Doctor. Get out of the way. Get out of the way. John, what is it? Oh, Christ. You and you, get your butts in here and help me untangle him from the sheets. What in Christ's name happened here? John? John? What is it? Talk to me, John. Trying to hold him still, I... Rebecca Haller, also present, Dr. Paul Brennan conducting autopsy on the deceased John Pendleton. A Y incision has been made and deceased's organs inspected. It is of special note that all abdominal organs appear to have been pushed to the right side of the cavity by some unknown force. Just above this, we observe a ruptured diaphragm. Left lung shoved aside, pericardium ripped open, the heart is deformed, <clears throat> um, the heart, pause recording, <sighs> hell. What's wrong, Dr. Haller? Why did you stop? Of all the crazy things. I know the story you told me about the young man, but... But? But hell! You and I don't know everything, Brennan. We don't know it all by any stretch of the imagination. I believe you. I think you're right. But we can't afford to expose ourselves to ridicule by our peers and by the public. Your x-rays, MRIs, and witnesses wouldn't convince one in ten physicians. And why? 
because there are just some people who refuse to be convinced. So what do you recommend? Why bother trying? Here's what I propose for the death certificate. Death from hemorrhage induced by internal rupture. Do you agree? Yes, I guess it will be better that way. But I want you to take note of something first. Mm, what, what's that? You paused in your report when you got to the deformity of the heart. Just look at this. Jesus Christ! Yes. See? These depressions, or furrows, and John Pendleton's heart line up exactly with the thumb and fingers of an adult-sized right hand. My, my, my. Wasn't that simply heart-wrenching, creeps? <laughs> yes, it reminds me of a girl ghost I knew from back east. She just couldn't land a boy fiend. <laughs> well, what could she expect when her beauty was only sheet deep? <laughs> Our show was called The Evil Twin, our fourth episode of The Cellar. And I, of course, am your hostly ghost, um, <laughs> your ghostly host, Cadavra Quivery. <laughs> the Evil Twin was adapted for audio in 2017 by Pete Lutz from a short story by R. Anthony. So, until next time, fiends, remember, don't take candy from stranglers. <laughs> the Cellar is produced and directed by Pete Lutz. The theme was composed and performed by Tom Rory Parsons. Our cast consisted of the following players. Joe Stofko as Dr. Brennan. Jonathan Montgomery as John Pendleton. Kurt Johnson as Dr. Hoffman. Debbie Leal Ramirez as Nurse Cummings. Tanya Maloyevich as Nurse Ayala. Sarah Golding as the duty nurse. And Rachel Rumler as Dr. Haller. Cadaver Quivery is played by Angela Young. This is Graham Rowett speaking. The Cellar is a 63 audio production, mixed and mastered in Corpus Christi, Texas. Join us next time when Cadavra tells you the tale of a strange restaurant where you never know just what's going to be on the bill. Here's a scene from that episode. Oh, wait. Waitress! Kevin, what kind of place is this? The girl sets the food down and disappears, and it's half-cooked slop. Mine too. Sorry, I just wanted to meet up with you and tell you something, and I thought lunch at this place would be convenient. Well, I wouldn't mind so much if I could actually eat what's put in front of me. Sorry again. Well, what did you want to talk about? Well, I wanted to let you know about this other restaurant I dined at the other day. I had the best meal there. My friend, it was pure ambrosia. And I'm supposed to react how to this news? I'm sitting here with a plate of excrement in front of me. And you're telling me about a meal fit for the gods? Well... I'm sold. When do we go? Next week, Friday. Great. What time are you picking me up? 
It's called Today's Special by our producer Pete Lutz. Next time on The Cellar. Sixty-three audio. There are many things that we can all do that may help stop the spread of the coronavirus. But one thing we can all do is to have a plan in case you do get sick. First, consult with your health care provider for more information about monitoring your health for symptoms suggestive of COVID-19. Second, stay in touch with others by phone or email. You may need to ask for help from friends, family, neighbors, community health workers, or more if you become sick. And finally, determine who can care for you if your caregiver gets sick. For more information, go to cdc.gov and be well, everyone. <laughs>